Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Green Divas radio show. No time for witty banter this week with Green Diva Lynn. Sorry. This show is so packed with amazing, entertaining, important, informative, great information. Uh, You're just going to want to listen to this show. And I'm not even going to talk very much. Just going to tell you what you're in store for. Uh, We have a wonderful report from our very favorite climate mama and green diva Harriet Sugarman about COP21, what you need to know about what's happening this week and why we need to keep listening and keep paying attention. We have this year's Shop Drop Challenge with Mommy Greenest, Green Diva Rachel Sarnoff. Learn about that and uh, participate, please. And a really interesting and unique eco-sexy segment with Sabine Lichtenfels. And I can't even describe that one. You're just going to want to listen. Trust me. And then the feature, I had the honor of speaking with one of my eco-heroes, Van Jones. And what a powerhouse this guy is. And and you're just going to want to listen. He's very inspiring. And uh, there you have it. Buckle up, buttercups, and enjoy the ride. Green Festival Expo is the longest-running sustainability event in the U.S. and the largest one with over 250 exhibitors and over 50 inspirational speakers. Dine on delicious local vegan or vegetarian food, take a free yoga class, and more. In San Francisco, November 13th through 15th, and Portland, Oregon, December 11th through 13th. Visit greenfestivals.org. Overwhelmed by environmental news? Listen to the Green Divas My Earth 360 report for the latest eco news bits from around the globe. Carefully curated and borne by our need to say WTF. But we also love to share encouraging stories and, of course, ways that you can make your voice count for the earth. It's not just my earth, it's our earth. And together, we can make a difference. Well, as always, we love speaking to our favorite climate mama and green diva, Harriet Sugarman. Hi, Harriet. Hi there. So glad to be with you today. And unfortunately, she isn't in the studio with us like she usually is because she's a busy, busy climate mama. But we really wanted to speak to her because I know she's got her finger on the pulse of what is going on, at least for us you know, Climate Mamas and Green Divas at COP21 in Paris. What's going on? All right. Yes. I Well, the conference started yesterday, and it runs through December 11th. And I know that we are getting a lot of press about it right now, which is great and exciting because a lot of heads of state are there for the beginning of the conference. So uh, I think we are counting uh, already over 150 that are speaking between yesterday and tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, that's between Monday and Wednesday, and uh, perhaps some will come back at the end of the conference as well, too. But I think that one good thing to point out to your listeners is that, well, in many circles, it's being touted as this is our last and final opportunity to do something on the climate. 
we can't say that and don't want people to think that because, you know, as with anything, it's hard enough to get decisions made between a couple people in a room, never mind (laughs) over 190 countries, right? Yeah. um, And we know that countries have been working on this every year they meet on talk on climate. So they've been doing that every year since 1995. Um, COP21 means Conference of the Parties. This is the 21st meeting of it. It's the governing body of something called the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, the UNFCCC, three Cs. Yeah, that's a mouthful, Uh, man. I can never remember (laughs) what that is. Thank you. It is a mouthful. Um, But the hopeful part of these talks and what everyone should focus on is that finally, finally, it seems like the world is in agreement, not just right. um, all of those of us trying to push world leaders, but world leaders as well as policy analysts, as well as regular folks that we see and feel climate change and something serious has to be done. So this is sort of the beginning of that next sustained effort and step forward, COP21. Well, it was really heartening to hear a synopsis and actually hear a clip of President Obama speaking. His opening statements included the fact that he really fast, you know, owned it, that uh, we're part of the problem. We're, we're a big, big part of the problem, and we, you know, intend to be part of the solution, which, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing terribly, but... I <laughs> know you did a great job of it. And <laughs> it is, it is, and, you know, he's been saying that more and more, and I think that many people do feel that he is going to make climate change policy, and has been, actually, but a critical part of his legacy uh, in this last and end of his second term. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's important to also know, though, is that, and we all know, that he faces a really difficult Congress at home. And so something to look out for with this climate conference is whether or not the final outcome of it will be a binding treaty or not. And that's a key part and a there'll be lots of kind of wiggle room around that, too, because while he's calling for something binding, not everything will be, because we know that there are limitations on what can get passed through Congress. So, so look for annoying. kind of a two-part solution on things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I kind of get that the government is set up with all these checks and balances, but it's it's out of balance to the point where nothing is getting, it's, you know, maybe it's too balanced. I don't know. what I, You know what I mean. It's not, nothing's working. It's not functional. No, it's so true. And so also an exciting part about these, the climate conference is that we need to look outside of government, too. So we know that part of this is what companies are doing, uh, what private citizens are doing, what organizations are doing to move forward, where we can work around some of those roadblocks that we face from the political side and just move forward with the truth, with what science is telling us and where we have to go. So it's not like everything's going to line up and all the ducks are going to be in a row and we're going to move forward on everything all at once. It's really a messy hydra with lots of different heads and we need to start. (laughs) (laughs) A messy hydra. That's so good. That's such a great description. I love it. Well, you know what? We have to look at positive ways of uh, looking at it too. And, And it is such a complicated problem, climate change, but 
it presents so many opportunities. Right. So there are lots of challenges, but we can move forward in many different ways. So even though we have a lot of roadblocks, we need to post Paris, make sure that moving into the 2016 elections, that voting for climate solutions is part of what we all do here in the U.S. and that whoever leads our country uh, at any level, yes. be it at the local, state, or at that top level, that they have climate solutions and policies and real plans as part of what they want to do. You know, well, not just what they want to do, but what they are going to do and make happen. What they will be empowered to do by us, in theory, you know, if it's working. Yes. If it's working. Absolutely. So right. tell, and, yeah. tell me um, how our sisters with We Can are doing there. I know there's a bunch of us over there. Absolutely, yes. Uh, the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network is represented in full force in Paris with uh, our uh, the head of the organization, Osprey Oriel Lake, organizing and involved with many events, making sure that the uh, Women's Climate Action Plan, which is available on the weekend website for everybody to look at and see, is read by many delegates, is uh, being talked about and hopefully put in, into action. And things included in that include 100% uh, clean energy, Moving forward, women's voices being heard loud and at the forefront and making sure that the rights of nature and the rights of those that are least responsible for climate change but most impacted right. are heard and are addressed. Excellent. Um, I, yeah. I, um, yeah, I kind of regret that I couldn't get there, but I know that we are well represented by many folks, including uh, Osprey and the We Can Sisterhood there, um, but you know, and hey. what we and what we can do here, you know, it's really important that people are there to represent all of us with the delegates that are there. But what we need to do when we're here, and which is what Green Divas is so amazing about, is amplifying those voices and making sure that it's on and in front of people here that aren't in Paris, that can't go to Paris, and that need to understand right. and help others understand why those people are in Paris and what's happening there. So we have a critical role to play by getting that message out to local audiences so that they can move forward on and act on what's happening in Paris as well. Well, happy to serve, you know, and <laughs> loving my job when I get to speak to folks like you, Harriet, who are really on the front lines, um, a... Uh, one of my admired activists and, and, and wonderful women. So, Harriet, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for reporting in, and I'm sure we'll hear from you again soon, and hopefully you'll get to the studio. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing uh, my thoughts about what's happening, and I look forward to talking to you again when at the conclusion of the Paris talks when we see what actually is decided and yes. where we go forward from there. So back at you in really appreciating <laughs> all that you're doing to get our voices heard and make sure that people understand what they can and what they can be hopeful about as well. Exactly. So thanks so much. Share the good news. Thanks, Harriet. Get all the details from this Green Divas My Earth 360 report and lots more 
on thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. And myearth360.com. Under the Dome is a new television show based on a Stephen King book. But this time, the best-selling author of Carrie is trying to scare us for a different reason. More about that after this. Everyone wants to be a part of the green movement, and that's a great thing. Going green takes on a whole new meaning when you add tall grass beef to your family's dinner table. It's tender and juicy, and since the cattle graze on the natural grasslands of Kansas, it's also loaded with essential fatty acids and omega-3s that regular grain-fed beef lacks. It's good for you and your family and good for the earth. For more information and to order tall grass beef online, go to www.tallgrassbeef.com. The small town of Chester's Mill, Maine, is abruptly separated from the outside world by an invisible barrier of unknown origin, causing chaos and challenge for those trapped inside and outside the dome. In a departure from his other works, like Pet Cemetery, King said, From the very beginning, I saw it as a chance to write about the serious ecological problems that we face in the world today. We're a blue planet in a corner of the galaxy, and all of us are under the dome. The TV show focuses on how human behavior changes and what happens when we have to deal with the effects of our actions or lack of. I'm Bill Curtis, and Earth Matters. No one ever said you had to give up style to be a green diva or dude. Check out this Green Diva's eco-style segment for all the latest trends in sustainable, ethical, gorgeous eco-style. Oh, we haven't talked to this wonderful Green Diva, Rachel Sarnoff. Uh, Is it Rachel Lincoln Sarnoff? It's either one. Uh, I go by both, but thank you. Sorry about that. Um, who is the founder, author, publisher of MommyGreenest.com, among other things. She's a very busy woman. Uh, one of the things that she's been busy with, which I love, is her Shop Drop Challenge, which she's building up again for 2016. Hi, Rachel. Hi. How are you? I'm good. So tell us about this year's Shop Drop Challenge. Yes. So I believe we talked about it last year. This is the third year that I've done the Shop Drop Challenge. Okay. Um, And this year, I tweaked it a little bit by starting way earlier. So um, you can sign up now. You can sign up all the way through January 2016. Um, And the goal of the Shop Drop Challenge is to basically raise awareness of alternate means of shopping. So you can swap your style, you can go to thrift stores, you can trade with friends, um, you know, you can you can really utilize all those um, ways of shopping that really um, do not involve consumption, right? So you're, right. you're recycling fashion and all those ways. So it's about raising that awareness. And it's also about taking kind of personal responsibility for your shopping habit, which, um, you know, January is a great time of year to kind of look yeah. that straight in the eyes. <laughs> yeah, right after um, the wild really, consumption of, of the exactly. holidays, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, really, the facts are pretty startling. Um, you know, there's 160 million American women, and we spend about $60 on average each month on clothes, and we dump about six pounds of textile waste into the landfill each month. So wow. really, what we're looking at is in 30 days, $10 billion and a billion pounds of textile waste. Wow, that's a pretty stunning statistic. Wait a minute. Yeah. Say that again, because I'm still absorbing it. Yeah, so it's just under the 10, but it's it, there's 160 million women, right. $60 a month, and six pounds of textile waste dump. So if you, basically, if you join us in the Shop Drop Challenge, if every American woman joined us with the Shop Drop Challenge in not shopping new for 30 right. days, in Janu- you know, beginning in January, you can set when you want to do it. So if you want to start on January 30th, you can, um, and it'll just take you through those next 30 days. But to, to make that commitment, if we all did that, we could save $10 billion and a billion pounds of textile waste just, just by recycling our you know, fashion habit rather wow. than buying new and tossing away. So tell me, does it count if I make something out of old T-shirts instead of throwing yes. them? Okay. Absolutely. And that is actually upcycling. So right. recycle three types of, you know this, of course, but you know there's three types of of, you know, turning something into something else. There's recycling where it's becoming the same thing. So when you're swapping your, you know, your jeans with another person's T-shirt, that's recycling because right. it's really, it's, it's equal. It's, it's apples to apples. If you're taking that T-shirt and turning it into a cool dress or whatever, right. that is a potentially higher value, whether that's a monetary value or whether that's a value to you, that's upcycling. Right. And then, of course, there's downcycling, which is when that T-shirt gets so ragged that it becomes a rag, um, and that is of lower value, so that would be downcycling. But it's still um, keeping it out of the landfill and giving it another, yet another use. Exactly. And, the, you know, the, the, the point that I'm trying to make with the Shop Drop Challenge is really um, that you know, we have a fast fashion habit in this country, and not just our country, but, you know, everywhere. We have a fast fashion habit. And each year there's 1.7 billion items of clothing that are going unused in in closets that are basically sitting in closets that nobody's using. So why not, you know, kind of raise awareness about a way to um, start looking at those things, getting them out of your closet and, and either thrifting them or swapping them and not, buying more things. Oh, I have um, to be honest. I've been a clothes hoarder and you know, I've changed sizes a little bit and I'm like, oh, I'm never getting rid of that, you know, and uh, yeah. you know, it kind of goes yeah. in this certain box or or closet until I can get to it again. And I recently just started going through all of it and first of all, it's like shopping in my own closet. I'm like, "Oh my god, totally. I haven't seen this in like 5 years. I love this thing." And Totally. And I give away what, what I've just decided, like the two-year rule. If I haven't put it on my body in two years, that's ridiculous. Let it go. And, yeah. And um, so then I give it away. And But now I'm left with a lot of things. I unearth things that I, unless I do this kind of thing on a regular basis, I don't see these things. And I don't even know I right. have them. Well, that's the thing. I mean, so many people say this. And every year when I um, sign people up for the Shop Drop Challenge, which, you know, basically you just go to mommygreenest.com. It's right there. But, you know, you people leave me comments and all most people will say, I have more, I have more options now than I did before I cleaned out my closet. You and know, like you, 
Once you clear away the stuff you're not wearing, you really actually find you have more things to wear. Well, and that's the thing, and you're left with the things you love and the things that you will wear, and then you discover, like, oh, I forgot I had that pair of jeans. They're so great. Okay, whatever, you know. Yeah, and that's the thing is that, you know, it takes 2,200 gallons of water to produce one pair of jeans. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, you know, I mean, the the facts are crazy. Um, Plain cotton T-shirt, one-third of a pound of toxic fertilizer to produce. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's... and then 95% of the clothes that we throw away are actually recyclable. So, you know, we're throwing things into the landfill that actually could be shared with somebody else or could be, you know, just because they don't fit or don't look great or you don't feel great in them doesn't mean that somebody else won't, you the, know, or they could become something else. The most interesting thing that came out of this last purge was I found a box because we had moved three years ago. I found a box of my old T-shirts, which I thought were gone. I was really sad. And I have an amazing collection of organic cotton T-shirts now that's grown that, you know, and I'm back to fitting into most of them. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have like 15 really cool organic cotton T-shirts. And I remember, you know, eight years ago, it was unthinkable that I could, you know, develop a wardrobe of organic clothing. But I have all kinds of some very nice fashions now from a couple of designers that are you know, um, sustainably made and yeah, uh, it's so exciting. I bet, I bet you have an Eco Stiletto t-shirt in there. I, I, I had, you know, for the, when I was doing Eco Stiletto, I had these great t-shirts and I was giving them out at events and I bet you have one in your, in your box somewhere. Oh, I you probably do. If you can find it. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll go look because that does sound familiar and I'm like, oh, yeah. uh, uh, it's a cute one. It uh, really is. Well, you know, the thing to remember is really, um, you know, when you're thinking about buying new and obviously buying organic is the best, you know, the best thing you can do. And, and I'm totally for that. I just, I feel like, you know, the shop drop challenge really gives us an opportunity to just kind of look at the way that we shop. And the truth is, you know, the textile industry is the world's second largest water polluter after agriculture. So it's it's a huge, you know, it's a huge industry that's, that, that if we cleaned it up or if we, maybe consumed less, you know, we could really make a big shift environmentally. So that's kind of what, that's the awareness that I'm trying to raise. It's and frankly, great. once you start, yeah. you know, once you're purging right now, but also once you start buying thrift or swapping, oh, yeah. you can't, you can't go back. Cause oh, no. It's, feel ripped off. <laughs> I have I very rarely buy new clothes now, by the way. Almost yeah. like it's been years that I have purchased certain things. And uh my daughters and I love thrifting and consignment shops and Yeah. Uh, but it's it's That's a so it's great. a great exercise. I'm glad you're doing it because you know, we need to sometimes just stop and go, Oh, you know, you don't realize, like I, I did this plastic, you know, free February challenge a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like all cavalier, like, yeah, you know, I don't do like plastic. I'll be fine. And it was all about not buying any new plastic. And I was like, oh, oh. Uh, you know, there's like so much food I couldn't buy because it's right. wrapped yeah, in you're, freaking plastic. What, what are you getting your orange juice in? You know well, what I mean? Like there's so many things like that that you don't think about. Until, yeah, until you know, you do like this shop drop challenge is such a great, great way to become aware of all the things. I don't even think we, we realize what we're doing. Thank you. Well, sign up. And also I keep, you know, forgetting to mention, but um, the shop drop challenge is 
sponsored this year by ThreadUp. So ThreadUp is a oh, great yeah. online resource for pre-loved clothing. Um, and if you enter to do the Shop Drop Challenge this year, um, beginning in January, you can win a $250 shopping spree from ThreadUp. So that's a great little incentive. <laughs> you know? Yeah. As, a, as yeah. if we, you know, don't need incentive, but it's great. Well, Rachel, great to catch up with you a little bit, and I'm looking forward to talking to you more soon. Yeah, thanks so much. Great to talk with you, too. Want to have sexy Green Diva style, too? And learn more about low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green? Visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Being green can be so sexy. Well, at least you can be sexy and keep it green. Check out the Green Divas Eco Sexy Podcast for ways to keep it green in the bedroom or wherever you like to have sex. Well, this is so interesting. I, I really enjoyed chatting with this woman before I started recording she is Sabine Sabine Lichtenfels. I hope I didn't mask her name too badly. Um, she's a peace ambassador, an author, um, a theologian, and she's the head of global love the Global Love School and spiritual research at Tamara. She's also one of the founders of this beautiful place, a community in Portugal. Hi, Sabine. Hello. <laughs> Thank and, you for pronouncing my name so precise. Well, I had to practice, as you know. I had to practice. Um, among the amazing work you're doing and have been doing for um, many years, you know, has to do with, and I, and I would encourage people to go to your website. Can you tell me what the website is again? Yes, it's www.tamera.org. Very simple. Yeah, it is that simple. And Tamara is pretty much exactly the way it sounds, um, because there's some fascinating things when you. When I was reading about you and learning about the work you and Dieter are doing, um, and, and and all the folks there, of course, in in healing the gender war, which I happen to to you know agree with. I I was reading the philosophy y'all are mm. working with and. I totally get this. Can you just talk for a minute about some of the background here? Yes, of course. Uh, our project is existing since 1978. So we came all more from the political left wing and looking for a revolution. And then we noticed that uh, it's, not a part, it's not the task to fight the system, but to develop new ones. And then looking deeper, we see that uh, the issue of love and sexuality is so unsolved on, in our societies, and it's offering a vessel which again and again guides to the same pain, to the same fear pattern, and to the same resistance pattern. And so we felt more and more that this is a very political issue. We have to figure out how new systems of society should be where trust is really the basic. 
And so we started 1978 to build community. And from there we came 1995 to Portugal. And we have 140 hectare land here and create. Uh, it's a, the question is, what is the peace culture about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, I have to interject because in the mid-80s, I was up in the Berkshire Mountains of Massachusetts and there was all these older women at the time I was in my 20s and mm. they were feminists and they had invited some big feminist special like, ooh, wow, it was a big deal for me to be in the presence of this women in this meeting. And mm. and the woman was talking about how we have to conquer men and have to take over business and and all and I was sitting there scratching my head and I thought oh I'm going to get in trouble here and I and I raised my hand and I quietly said but but isn't feminine energy about healing and mm -hmm. peace and unity and not fighting and conquering mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I thought um and then I just left the room because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they all stared at me like I was on fire you know yeah, this is exactly what, uh, in the time when I studied, it was the same. I was very involved in the women's movement, and the feminism was very much about fighting the male, uh, the masculine energies, yeah. And uh, then the, the feminine became more and more like the masculine, taking the same roles. Yeah, yeah. And the new culture is so much about the question, how can we really develop a partnership a, part, a culture of partnership and where the female and the masculine or the feminine and the masculine energies are really balanced. And there we as women have to remember quite deep uh, what is the real source of the feminine energy and also to understand more about the truth of Eros. And as I perceive it, I study theology and for me, it was a shock to see how much the sexual issue were driven out of the society and it identified with evil. And yeah. Eve, who seduced Adam, was evil. Right. And this, yeah, it's still in, until today, I feel that we don't honor the Eros as a sacred energy, which should be in the center of a culture. Right, a powerful, creative, loving force, right? Yes. Uh, so then I think Lynn, uh, Green Diva Lynn had connected with you with your work as your participation in this walking water. Can you explain what that was all about? Yes. This was a pilgrimage uh, where a group of people started in the Owens Valley and they do a pilgrimage for three years and facing the unsolved issue of the water in the United States, wow. the big crisis about the water. Yes. And I was invited um, as someone who is a specialist for the question of to connect the ecological issue of healing the water uh, with the issue of love and sexuality. So my issue was healing water, healing love. And it was a very, very interesting pilgrimage uh, where we also connected with specialists from the water area. And, for example, Rajendra Singh, a very known water specialist from India, participated in it. <coughs> and we visited uh, reservation <coughs> camps, we visited farmers, we visited uh, all the different aspects. 
and started a deep listening to each other and always with the question, where do the water come from mm. and how should we connect with the water that healing can appear? Mm. And then you will see that water is so much uh, giving us a mirror how we deal with the energies of the earth without being really in contact. So the most people don't know any m anymore from where is the water coming, for example. Right. And uh, if you look to the water, how I like the sentence they have done to the arrows, the same like to the water, to the rivers. Mm. They gave them uh, one street and allowed only there to flow. And then I started to compare to compare the water with the issue of the eros. And the water always, if it can flow natural, brings clean uh, healing. And also if you look to the big floods which are happening right now because the earth doesn't have really soil anymore, yeah. then you will see it's also the same, that eros is in television everywhere presented. But there are no communities, no vessels where it can land and where the water can sink into the body yeah. of the community in this sense. Yeah. Right, so it wreaks havoc because it's yeah. looking for a place to land. Yes, that's it. And so there I have written a whole comparison between this both issues because I feel we can learn so much if we really, really dare to listen deeply to the sources of life, to the sources of Mother Earth, and understand how we, which responsibility we have to take care for the sources. And from there, it's a point of abundance and not of lack. Right. And also there, I love to compare that in love, normally we are all, we have this pain pattern where our love is very quickly in the fear of loss. Mm. And so we create borders around our love relationship. Right. And the same we do with the water. If, we, if you look to Israel-Palestine, how much the war is also around the water. Mm. And water, water doesn't know borders. Water wants that we all together take care for it. And on the other side, water wants a real uh, awareness for the local situation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a really interesting way to think about it. Water doesn't know yes. borders. It just yes. goes. It just does. It just is. Yes. We were in on one pilgrimage. We were in Jericho in, in the Middle East. There is a big spring, very big, beautiful spring. And we invited there Israelis and Palestinians. And normally Israelis are not allowed to go to the West Bank. Right. And we had an event there about the water. And we uh, went around the area and we made visible which kind of natural water landscape there could be developed, that there is enough water for the whole Palestine. And then the water is coming down from the mountain from Israel. Yeah. And the cooperation is needed. It's so important. And yeah, what an, an example. Wonderful way to um, to illustrate. Yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, water is very powerful, and I think we in the U.S. anyway tend to just take for granted. We turn on our tap; it comes out. Yeah, we don't really know where it's coming from, and half the time we don't even know what's in it. <laughs> That's it. It's so so. It's really you can meditate 
with the water for hours and you will discover one secret after the next. Ah, well, and I, and I have, you know, we, we spoke to a guy, a gentleman named Dr. Wallace J. Nichols, who wrote a book, um, I think it's called The Blue Mind. And it's all, mind. yeah, and and, okay. and and he's all about, um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, if not, you, you know, it might be interesting. Yeah. But it, we just spoke to him recently, and I had gone out to California by the ocean, and I had, I've always been kind of mindful and, and appreciated water, but, but keeping this new thought in mind about blue mind and about the connection to water spiritually emotionally mentally and that there's now science that says Mm -hmm. we actually react uh Mm -hmm. physically there are chemical reactions in our brain when we are near water yeah and uh of course you didn't need research to know that but perhaps some of us do i don't know (laughs) yeah it's really really interesting if you if you look back to the tribal wisdom and also in the United States, there we have to face together that we, the indigenous people were hurt, uh, yeah? yeah, and there existed a wisdom about water and fire, very deep. And on our pilgrimage, we visited a reservation camp, mm. and this was one place where it was allowed to light a fire and to imagine how community life would happen if there would exist communities around yeah. those issues. Yeah. And I, we created, or it was visible, that the whole Owens Valley, which now is a desert, and the big lake, which once was there, doesn't exist anymore, and how the water situation could be so rich, and there would be enough water for Los Angeles, if the cooperation could really happen. Yeah. Yeah, And these are beautiful examples where we can see the system change, which is needed. And I feel the core system change is really that we find back to tribal wisdom, that we find back that we are meant as human beings, as community beings, which are able to cooperate. And for this, we need wisdom in eros, wisdom in na- nature, and wisdom how to deal with the energies. Well, I I hope someday I get to come visit you in Portugal and and uh, see the community that you are building. And um, I mean, you've built it, but it's obviously evolving as everything does. Hmm. I'm fascinated by the work you're doing, and I'm hoping our audience will connect and uh, hmm. do a little homework. Um, and you have books that you've written, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sure people can find out everything on – Tamera, T-A-M-E-R-A dot org, right? Yes, I think it's a bit, it's very complex, but you will find everything what you are looking for, I think so, yes. Oh, I could have, re- I could have read all day and I'm going to go back and read more <laughs> just on the website. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time and your work and your continued effort to to bring us all back to uh, some awareness of, of these connections that, that mm. we need to make. Yeah, thank you for inviting me and thank you for listening. Thank you very much. (laughs) We'll talk again. (laughs) Yeah. Turned on yet? Well, go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. To learn more about this Green Divas eco-sexy podcast and find other low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green.
I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Anna Jane Joyner was raised in a conservative home with a well-known evangelical minister for a father. But her family never talked about environmental issues. They're totally outside of my radar, except for maybe to lump environmentalists in with hippies and liberals and all the other people who are probably going to hell. But a semester abroad in New Zealand during college made her rethink her values. So I came home and I switched my major to environmental studies, which caused a lot of havoc in my family. In fact, her dad stopped paying her tuition. So in an effort to bring him around, she wrote her thesis on biblical scriptures that addressed the moral reasons to care for the environment. And that very niche understanding of the world kind of launched me into a career that has uh, primarily focused on, on bridging the world of faith and the world of caring for our Earth, and in particular, fighting climate change. She's now a climate campaigner, working to convince others that climate change is real and a moral cause. And while her father still does not agree with her on climate change, he has come to believe that caring for the Earth is part of the Christian calling. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. All right, well, this is really a big honor for me. We've been, I've been personally following this guy for many years, and if you haven't heard from him, crawl out from under your rock and check him out. He's really an advocate for so many things, and he's tying the need for environmental um, awareness with social justice and human rights in so many ways. Van Jones, who is an activist, he's an author. One of the books is The Green Collar Economy, which is specific to what we talk about here. He's the founder of Green for All, among many other organizations that are doing wonderful work for social justice and social economy, uh, social environmentalism. He's also worked for President Obama. So let's just launch in. Hi, Van. How are you? Oh, I'm really glad to be on the phone with you, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm like stumbling. I'm like a little fangirl, you know. Uh, uh, you're, <laughs> you're a hero to many of us who Very kind. believe in the work that you're doing and, and the importance of it. So one of the things that we thought we'd talk about today was what's going on with Obama's clean power plan. Well, I think it's probably the the biggest uh, climate victory that you never heard of. Um, right. Basically, over the course of the summer, the president uh, re- revealed uh, uh, through the EPA new rules that all the big, dirty power plants are going to have to comply with to basically clean up their act. Now, people remember when he first came into office, he said he was going to take on climate, and he wanted to do it with uh, the cap-and-trade bill, right. which is you know very pro-business, uh, pro-market, uh, very similar to stuff that Mitt Romney and others had endorsed, um, Paul, uh, John McCain and others had endorsed. Yeah. But you know, once he decided he was going to be for it, and suddenly <laughs> the Republicans said it was socialism, they couldn't touch it. We're like, isn't this your idea? This is such so, an oppositional environment, isn't it? Yeah, very dysfunctional, very tribal. Yeah. Very tribal environment. It's weird, um, yeah. Just, so what happened is that because he could not get it done through the legislature, uh, he noticed that the Supreme Court had given George W. Bush the authority and the power under the Clean Air Act to directly regulate carbon. He goes, well, hold on a second. I don't have to 
go crawling through this crazy minefield of, of Congress. I can just take uh, the EPA, which Richard Nixon created, yeah. and the Clean Air Act, which Richard Nixon created, and the conservative Robert Supreme Court, and use that authority to tell the polluters to pollute less. And he did that. And what that means is that in all 50 states, there will be uh, tables and debates and discussions set up to figure out how to implement those rules. Yeah. Now, you can implement those rules in a way where you can create an awful lot of jobs in solar and weatherization and wind en- energy. And I think Americans should be waking up to the possibility yeah. to, to create a bunch of jobs here. I mean, think about like what uh, Roosevelt did with the, the New Deal and all of the, the WPA and all the stuff that got done. And some wonderful work that got done during that time to help lift everybody out of that depression. And, of course, we're coming out of our economic difficulties. And uh, what a great way to do it, to, to create this new infrastructure, right? Well, ab- absolutely. And, and the, the good thing about it is that um, in this case, it's just about uh, uh, you don't have to change the public, public expenditures. You just change the public rules. You know, these, these uh, polluters have been uh, you know, subsidized to the hilt mainly by being able to pollute for free. You know, you and I can't pollute for free. If you walk out your front door and throw a, a, a can on the ground, you're going to get a fine. Yeah, uh, yeah, but these right. big mega polluters can dump out megatons of carbon, you know, uh, year after year and never pay one single penny. Yeah. Not, if, you, if you got a $25 fine for littering, you just paid $25 more than any big polluter in the United States has ever had to pay at the federal level for dumping out megatons of carbon. So the great thing about changing the rules the way the president has done is that without uh, changing uh, you know, your, your tax uh, payment, the, guess what? All these polluters have to say, well, crap, we, we're going to have to net, net reduce pr- uh, pollution, but we aren't going to uh, reduce our energy production. What does that mean? You're going to have to be more efficient, and you're going to have to have more clean energy. That means solar jobs, solar contracts, energy efficiency jobs, weatherization jobs, contracts for that. So this is a huge opportunity. The thing that people don't talk about enough is that the green economy is the best best pathway to more work, more wealth, and better health. You want to start taking the asthma inhalers out of people's pockets. You want to start giving people contracts and jobs and putting people to work again. Just uh, move in a clean energy direction because that is going to be where so much of the job growth is coming. We're in the middle of a solar energy boom right now because the cost of solar has really just fallen through the floor. And so that's bad for the solar manufacturers because a lot of them got put out of business. But the solar distributors, the solar installers, it is a great opportunity for them. And any consumer right now, if you have a house that has a roof, uh, which I think is most houses, <laughs> you should be looking at putting up solar panels right now. The cost is just unbelievably low. Yeah, if not if not solar panels, at least a green roof. Sure, something. I, I saw your video of uh, with the green roofs. That was a very, uh, very cute and informative. I also was watching your video, your TED Talk on economic injustice of plastic, and it was a brilliant message about about the people that are most affected by pollution, whether it's plastic or the carbon going into our atmosphere and, and causing more asthma. People often see folks um, uh, you know, fussing at people around having the plastic water bottles. And, you know, we all use them occasionally. I've been uh, chastised or sometimes using them on a stage. You know, you're, you're up there, you're dying, somebody hands you a plastic yeah. water bottle. I'm yeah. not going to throw it, hit somebody in the head with it. They've already handed it to me. It's open. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, you know, it's, it's really, it does create problems because, 
literally at the point of the production. Uh, yeah, you go down to uh, Cancer Alley down there in Louisiana, where yeah. a lot of this plastic is, is manufactured. A lot of sick kids, a lot of cancer. And then where it's, it's disposed of, you say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm recycling. I'm, I'm great. I'm recycling. Well, you should recycle. It's better than just throwing it on the ground or, or putting it in a landfill. But some of these recyclers are not that ethical, and sometimes they just ship them over to China, and, yeah. and you've got kids just burning the plastic and melting it down, and they're getting sick. So it basically, uh, I mean, listen, we all use plastic. It's, it's, we live in a plastic uh, society. Um, but you should, you should try to use less of it. And I'm, never, I'm not going to be one of these guys, you know, if you use one plastic water bottle, you're responsible for the destruction of the planet. Oh, it's impossible. Um, I, I, I use them, too, if they hand them to me. But um, honestly, it's, it's a bigger problem than most people know. You know, I did this Rodale's. They had this challenge. They had a bunch of media people try not to use any new plastic for an entire month. It was plastic-free February. I was like, oh, I'm in. Yeah, I hate plastic. I'm good. I got my glass jars, blah, blah, blah. I just became so painfully aware how difficult it is. I mean, I know that there are certain things. I mean, there's medical devices that require plastic, and plastic sure. can save lives. But I think it's just a, it's it's almost like it's another resource, and we have to really be mindful about how we use it. I think that's true. You know, one thing I'm, I'm so proud of, you know, being one of the founders of Green for All. Not green for some, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we're, we're green for all, and you know, greenforall.org is um, a resource center for people who are really interested in this stuff. Often, people associate the environmental cause with very elite, a uh, very privileged, very wealthy constituency, and I think that the right. media really tries to, to to push that image because it limits how many people identify with the cause. But the reality is that you know, uh, African Americans, Latinos. When you poll our communities, mm-hmm. actually poll off the charts and poll better than the average white voter on environmental issues, uh, in part because, frankly, we don't spend a lot of time watching Fox News yeah. and on some of these other outlets that confuse a big part of the white population. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're looking very you know, uh, honestly at the facts and, and the idea that, hey, listen, you know, we want to live in cleaner neighborhoods. We want to have cleaner air. air. We want to have cleaner water. And there's not a big constituency inside of our community saying, well, all that stuff is, is socialism and it's going to you know, destroy you know, freedom. <laughs> and so therefore, our communities actually tend to be much more supportive politically yeah. um, and also um, are much more open to solutions, even if you say that it may cost more to have clean air and clean water. Um, African-Americans and Latinos say that's fine. Uh, they, they understand the public health uh, implications. So Really, the actual environmental movement is much broader than most people think. It's much more diverse than most people know. Yeah. It's much more um, hopeful and optimistic than most people understand because uh, people are looking for Nobody thinks if you're a Latino kid growing up someplace in, in, in Texas that you're going to get a great job in a coal mine. Yeah. There's no African Americans in Ohio thinking they're going to get great jobs on oil, oil rigs. Right. But all of those young people can imagine uh, uh, having a, a solar future, having a, a future where energy efficiency with computers is is a big part, and then we got we got to lift those voices up a lot better than we do. And Green for All is focused on that. Yeah, it's it's really an important piece that that we've been trying to focus on more and more. And so I I appreciate what Green for All is doing, and we we've got we as Green Divas and with our platform uh, really are committed to trying to. To be more focused on that because it is for all. So I, I'm I'm watching videos, kind of preparing for this, and I see that you get a shout out from President Obama. I mean, how many people are you know get a shout out from President Obama? 
Well, um, <laughs> he's a pretty generous guy, so I'm sure quite a few, but we sure were happy when he gave me one. Uh, um, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. That was about your work with criminal justice uh, reform. Sure. You know, to me, it's all one struggle. It's all one fight. It's all one cause. Uh, we don't have any throwaway resources. We don't have any throwaway species. We also don't have any throwaway neighborhoods or, or yeah. nations or children either. Yeah. It's all precious. It's all sacred. When you have mass extinction of our sister and brother species and mass incarceration of our sisters and brothers, yeah. uh, you know, there's something wrong with our civilization. Something has gotten way off track. Uh, you know, the United States alone is kind of still the center of the world economy, challenged somewhat by China, but still we're the dominant, uh, main uh, dominant force. As, as, as consumers, if not as producers, you know, we are still producing 25% of the world's greenhouse gases and 25% of the world's prisoners, even though we only have 5% of the world's population. Yeah. Now, when you only have 5% of the world's population and one out of every four carbon molecules cooking the planet is coming from you, and you only have 5% of the world's population and one out of four people locked up anywhere in the world are locked up by you, and you're the land of the free, and you say you believe in America the beautiful. Well, wait, hold on a second. Yeah, what's um, How up much with beauty are we are we defending and supporting when we're you know messing up the whole climate? And how much freedom can you have when you have such a massive prison industry? Well, and so we're fight, we fight the polluters and the prisons. Yeah, I, I really I'm so with you on that. It's very upsetting, and we could probably talk about that for another twenty minutes. But again, thank you for for that. So, what's the next big thing? What's your next big exciting project that we want to know about? Well, I just want people to know that they can support uh, Green for All, GreenForAll.org, in our effort to make sure that the Clean Power Plan, Obama's new climate rules, get rolled out in a way. It really includes everybody, uplifts everybody. You can cut carbon a lot of ways, but I think you should, when you cut carbon, you should cut poverty, too. When you yeah. cut carbon, you should cut poverty, too. When you cut carbon, you should cut, cut hopelessness, too, by creating more jobs in solar, more jobs in weatherization, more jobs in energy efficiency, more jobs in uh, wind uh, energy, wind technology. And uh, you know, greenforall.org is a, is a real clearinghouse for these efforts. And you know, I'm so proud that uh, Vienne Trong, who is going to be just a, a massive global ecological uh, heroine, um, young attorney who just joined our, our oh. team, and she's now running Green for All. And, uh, oh, good. Well, amazing. we'll have to talk to her, yeah. too. Yeah, she's amazing. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're off to the races with Green for All. All right. Well, that's really exciting, and we will definitely be in touch as that progresses and hopefully speak with her. In the meantime, thank you again for all that you're doing, and uh, hope you have some wonderful holidays. Well, you too, and, and thank, thanks uh, to, to you for your great work and, and lifting up the voice and giving people like me an opportunity to be heard. You've been listening to the Green Divas Radio Show. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, Swell Radio, and Spreaker. Get social with the Green Divas on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Subscribe to the Green Divas YouTube channel to watch them in action. And for all the latest good green news, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. 